In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. Uh, and I am Paul Seelove. Yep. Filling in for Michael. Uh, we really appreciate you being here, Paul. Uh, Michael is in Alaska right now. Goodness. Well, hopefully he's having a better time there than the rest of the United States is. <laughs> yep. And we have a very exciting episode to talk about today. Uh, today, we are going to be doing some updates on Afghanistan, and then we are going to discuss uh, what's next? Hopefully, Iraq and Syria. And uh, we're going to end out the pod with a little bit of an update on COVID. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, mandating vaccines, because that is apparently more of a relevant conversation now. So I'm really excited about today's episode, bro. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for helping out. Yeah, absolutely. And I apologize that this has kind of changed up a lot. We had ideas about how we wanted to go through everything, and then recent news has kind of changed what we were deciding to do. So here we are. Yep, yep, here we are. Uh, and before we move on to our first segment, uh, let's do a little bit of an update on the COVID numbers. And because I'm not Michael, it's not going to be quite as in-depth as, uh, as all the notes he does, but I think it's important to still address. So uh, worldwide, there's approximately um, 219 million cases, which is still pretty insane, um, and 4.55 million deaths, um, which is, I mean, still just terrible and a huge shame. Um, in terms of vaccinations, uh, at least 41.7% of the global population has had at least one dose and 29.6% of the global population is fully vaccinated. Is definitely not enough, um, but you know we're, we're, we're getting up there. Uh, in the United States, we have 40.6 million cases and 654,000 deaths, which so, is- Hold up. Um, now that we know that horse dewormer is a end-all be-all as a cure, are you trying to tell me numbers haven't gotten better in the past couple of weeks since we I, discovered this miracle cure? You know what? Um, they haven't, uh, although there has been an increase in uh, people going to the hospital because they've poisoned themselves on horse dewormer. <laughs> yeah. And what's really fun is that the liver failure that that inevitably puts you in, puts you in such bad shape that you can't even get a transplant. So that's just that. Then you have COVID and a failed liver. I, God, I, I don't understand how that has become political. Like what the hell is political? Like, why is it that, that advocating for the wrong medication has suddenly become a partisan issue? Like, what is that about? It makes no sense to me. And I had a very drunk person talk to me at work the other day trying to sell me on his um, own COVID vaccine, which was horse dewormer, <laughs> and letting me know how it was 100% effective and all this. And he didn't seem to find it amusing that I asked if he was threatening to poison me. Yeah. So, like, I've heard that ivermectin in some doses can be used for humans, but, like, people have been straight up calling vets offices to try to get ivermectin. Like it's, it's specifically a, a dosage that is meant for horses. 
I mean, yes, like, and I've heard of a lot of vet pharmacies having to actually specifically state that we will not sell this to you unless you can show us a picture of you with your horse. <laughs> oh God, uh, that hurts. Um, a little bit of uh, a little bit of decent news in terms of uh, in terms of vaccination statistics in the United States, though. Um, 63.4% of the total population has had at least one dose and 54% has been fully vaccinated. Um, and hopefully that will increase uh, due to the thing that we're going to be talking about in our last segment today. So stay tuned for that. All right. So I think that we need to do one last segment about Afghanistan. I know that we've talked um, about it the last three weeks, um, but you know, we weren't on last week when a lot of, a lot of shit hit the fan. So I think that we do need to spend some time talking about Afghanistan, like if nothing else for, for good measure. So at this point, the withdrawal from Afghanistan is officially complete since the last time we talked, uh, there was an attack on the Kabul airport, um, from ISIS and the attack uh, initial estimates said that at least uh, 92 people were killed. Um, later, that number shot up to 170. This included about 13 United States military personnel, as well as like as well as like 25 Taliban fighters, because the attack was carried out by ISIS. Which the reason why that's important to note is that there's going to be a lot of servants of the military-industrial complex that are going to point towards this specific attack and be like, ah, oh, this is all Biden's fault. This was the Taliban. This was the Taliban. And they're going to depend heavily on you not knowing the difference between the Taliban and ISIS. Now, they are, of course, both terrorist organizations, You know, not great dudes, but there is an important difference. So. Paul, what is the difference between the Taliban and ISIS? Uh, well, to my knowledge, ISIS has never been directly supported by the United States, and we've never invited them to Disney World. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah, we, 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 did not, we did not arm ISIS the way that we did the Taliban. So that, that is an important difference. Um, another important difference is the fact that ISIS is a global jihadist group which means that they don't just want Islamic extremism in Iraq and Syria. They also want it everywhere else. They, they, want it, they want it exported to the rest of the world. The Taliban, on the other hand, yes, they are Islamic extremists, but, but their main goal is a theocratic Afghanistan. All right, They're a guerrilla army inside their own country, and their main goal was to take over Afghanistan. And they were very specifically communicating with the United States throughout the entire withdrawal process because they don't want to start another conflict with the United States. All right. They're, they have no reason to attack us. So I just want to make sure that we're very clear that the attack on the airport was not the Taliban. It was ISIS. That doesn't mean that the Taliban are good people. Doesn't mean that we should be besties with them, but it was, it was, it was ISIS and not the Taliban. All right. It, it does not justify us 
going back into war. In fact, I would argue that it even more emphasizes how important it is for us to get the hell out of that region. However, it would be entirely on brand for the United States to go to war with the Taliban again, because they like to use them as a scapegoat for other people doing things. Yeah. I mean, whenever we get attacked, we, I mean, it, it's kind of par for the course for us to atom- uh, attack the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, <clears throat> I mean uh, it's, it's still, yeah, it's still fantastic to me um, that 9-11 is Saturday. Um, and to this day, we still, at least some people, uh, blame Afghanistan for that and the Taliban for that, mostly people that haven't been able to figure out the difference uh, yeah. between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that this was an attack that was carried out primarily by Saudis and was entirely planned in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, famously, Tim Ryan, who was running for president in the Democratic side during, I, I think it was the first debate, he was trying to, he was arguing with Tulsi Gabbard. And again, this is a guy who's in the House of Representatives. He was, you know, he's, he was a former veteran and he was running for president and he was trying to make the argument for staying in Afghanistan. And what he said was, um, well, when we weren't there, the Taliban was run, it was uh, crashing planes into our towers. And then Tulsi Gabbard had to be like, uh, no, you fucking idiot. That was Al Qaeda. That wasn't the Taliban. Like, I mean, even, even a fucking, house rep doesn't know the difference like so so you know it's going to be very effective propaganda for the military industrial complex to use this attack but fortunately it doesn't look like um it doesn't look like biden took the bait and threw us back into afghanistan so that that was at least good to see at least so far i'm very curious about what biden's endgame is i kind of have this tingling hope um, that he's looking back at his career as he's um, pretty old and senile at this point and going, man, I really have fucked the world up. Maybe I should just do a couple good things before I go out. And I'm hoping yeah. that's what's motivating all this, but I guess we'll see. Well, I mean, this isn't the first time that he has talked about uh, Afghanistan as, or the, that he has taken a stance of withdrawing Afghanistan. I mean, when they uh, during the Obama administration, when they increased the number of troops, he actually was quite vocally against that. He dissented um, in the administration that decision. So, I mean, I mean, this isn't the first time that he has tried to to cut things down in um, Afghanistan. Now, you know, it, you you do make a good point that he has been a warmonger at several points throughout his life with the Afghanistan war, and of course, you know, I I would say that the biggest the biggest wrong was everything that he did when he was a committee chair to promote the Iraq war, which I'm sure that we'll talk more about when we, when we get into Iraq and Syria. Yeah. Um, And I still am not entirely convinced that a lot of his anti-war stuff has come post um, the death of his son, Bo. So, so wait, wait, you think that that did have an effect on him? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, stuff from his son's experiences, plus him valuing it more as his son actually died, potentially, um, has been part of what has made him start reevaluating things. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I mean, and I feel for him in that regard. You know, I, I'm glad that, like, I mean, obviously, it's, it's bad that his son died, but I'm, I'm glad that it, 
if it did, if that is part of what motivated him, I am glad that he kind of used that experience in order to actually do something good. Um, I mean, so far his record has been very mixed. Um, and it is nice that in the one area in which the president does have a very large amount of power, you know, it, uh, our, our troops overseas, that he's actually doing something that's productive, that's actually going to make a difference. Or at least the difference that we're wanting to see. Yeah, because uh, uh, I don't think we can delude ourselves into thinking that any of our wars in the Middle East have been anything about the general good for the country. It's primarily about the general good for the corporations, in particular weapons manufacturers. Oh, hell yeah. And um, that definitely doesn't trickle down to us in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and, you know, it. I mean, a huge part of it is military contractors that make money uh, making weapons and then pay the campaigns of uh, uh, pay in uh, campaign contributions, or as it would be referred to in uh, you know a place where a place that makes sense, uh, legalized bribery um, to these politicians who then vote for for these wars and then you know vote for more resources allocated towards war. But on the other side of it, you do also have mineral wealth you have resources you know afghanistan is extremely rich in mineral wealth and a lot of other places in the middle east uh have a lot of oil that uh, united states companies want to crack at and they basically use the united states military as their own personal security security force in order to do that which is just so wrong <laughs> yeah the, this actually leads in, because I've heard you say this specifically, but one of the things that I wanted to kind of elaborate on here um, is, are you aware, uh, other than the, um, the the reason we originally supported the Taliban was because we didn't like what the Russians were doing with the government in Afghanistan. And the government at that point was one of the most free ones. It was actually a good place for women, um, which we all generally said were good things. And then there was a memo um, from someone in the embassy there leading up to us um, actually declaring war uh, on them and inserting the Taliban, essentially. Which at the time uh, were mostly uh, people, were, were Mujahideen fighters. Yeah. Um, uh, so leading up to our support of them was essentially about dealing with getting Russia's influence out of there because we didn't like Russia's influence there. Yeah. And in particular, do you know what specifically uh, the deal was that we made with the Taliban um, in which we were like, hey, we're going to arm you, help you fight this, but there's one thing we want in return? Uh, I would assume access. Uh, access, yes, but in particular, there was an oil pipeline that the most efficient way to run it was going to be directly through the center of Afghanistan. And the Taliban said, yeah, absolutely, we'll let you have that if you help us win this war and take over our country from these horrible people that like women. <laughs> and at the time when Afghanistan became our scapegoat uh, for 9-11, was when the Taliban was starting to be slightly less trustworthy about this. And we're starting to say things like, yeah, you know, I don't know if we want this pipeline going through here. <laughs> no, uh, no good deed goes unpunished, I guess. See, the point to be, the, the point that I think is really important there is the fact that, you know, I would say I'm not completely anti the use of military in every single situation, but the military... I mean, we classify the military as defense spending, right? So doesn't it seem logical that the only time in which you should actually use 
the military is defensively. But all of these wars that were that we we've been talking about the the Afghanistan war, the Iraq war, the the you know the the war that's going on in Syria, that's all been wars of aggression. Like that's all been United States imperial imperialism basically. So I just you know you should always be skeptical when the United States government is interfering in a foreign country and they pretend oh it's just because we're trying to spread democracy or spread feminism. It's like okay if if you really support that stuff stop supporting Saudi Arabia. Right? Saudi Arabia has a guardianship clause in which they in which they basically make women property of like a male relative or or a husband. If you really care about that, then stop supporting them. Stop selling them weapons. But of course they don't care about that. What they care about is the mineral wealth, is the the oil. And you know, and and we we have plenty of documentation to suggest that. You know, they had you know, the, the Afghanistan papers revealed that they had no coherent strategy. They didn't even have an idea of who the bad guys were. You know, some people were like, oh, the bad guys are Al-Qaeda, the, the Al-Qaeda cells that are being hit in Afghanistan. Some people were like, no, 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 the bad guys are ta- the Taliban that we're trying to, we're trying to uh, prevent from retaking over the Afghanistan government. They didn't even know who they were fighting. Eight months after we started bombing Afghanistan, eight whole months, Robert Mueller came out in a press conference and said, we cannot actually definitively say that Osama bin Laden was even behind 9-11, let alone that Afghanistan helped him in any way, let alone that Afghanistan was sheltering him. Really? That I did not know. That I, wow. Afghanistan was just a scapegoat which it has been for like the entirety of its existence. Everyone just fights wars in Afghanistan. Yeah, man. And you know, this, this goes back to um, a good actually that, that Michael and I did a while back, which, you know, where, where we pointed out the fact that when the vote for the Afghanistan war happened, there was only one house member that voted against it. And that was Barbara Lee, you know, Bernie Sanders was in the house at the time and he voted for the Afghanistan war. But Barbara Lee voted against the Afghanistan war. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes only one person is right. <laughs> I mean, I would say that I, I bought into a lot of the propaganda about Afghanistan until like a year ago. Um, I, I bought into it uh, in its entirety. So I think I've told you um, when I was younger and all this was going on, I wasn't old enough to have like extremely developed opinions, but I was old enough to be thinking for myself at least, or so I thought. Hmm. And um, I remember at one point the Taliban were like, hey, we think we can get our hands on bin Laden. We want him off our hands. Please take him. All we want is for you not to just torture and murder him immediately. Like, can we have a real trial and then you can fucking hang him like the war criminal he is. And I remember people in my family very specifically saying that's completely unreasonable. At this point, they need to just let us do what we need to do. And I was like, yeah, sounds legit. You know, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, it it definitely would have saved a lot of lives, you know, a lot of money, a lot of time. Um, So another aspect of Afghanistan that I do want to talk about is um, we carried out another drone strike 
in Afghanistan. Oh, good. I was hoping we could touch on this. Yeah. And so what's interesting, so I've been, I've been reading more about it. And so what happened is a little bit different than what I had initially thought. So I had initially thought that this was specifically supposed to be like a, um, a revenge counterattack. Uh, it turns out the, the car that was attacked, they thought might have been carrying explosives that they, they thought the intention that, that the, the intention of the driver was to basically be a, a, another, another attack, another suicide bomb on the, on the airport. Um, now, what's interesting about this, though, so they, they had apparently been following this guy for a while. And the person that made the decision, um, so the, the person who actually made the decision to carry out the strike, it wasn't actually Biden. Uh, they, have, they haven't released the, the name or rank of the guy, but it was like it was a drone operator who basically just made a split second decision. And it resulted in... 10 dead civilians, seven of which were children. Now, the reason why I'm a little bit skeptical of the, the story that they've sold us on thus far, which is, you know, it was, it was just that they were trying to, they were trying to prevent another attack. The reason why I'm a little bit skeptical about that is because I'm, um, you know, they've already, they've already indicated that there's, like there wasn't any concrete evidence that the car did have explosives. Like after the car exploded, there were some additional explosives that um, uh, analysts said it probably wasn't just the gas. It was probably additional explosives. Um, but the initial Pentagon line was that only two civilians died. So that ended up being a fucking lie. And according to, to colleagues and family members of the guy, he was a technical engineer with uh, Nutrition and Education International, which is a charity-based organization and, in California, and he had absolutely no ties to ISIS. But military officials concluded that, that he, was, he was just an ISIS facilitator because of just... The fact that apparently he was driving around in a sedan and he kept picking people up and dropping people off and they loaded some stuff into the car, which they apparently were handling with care, which made them think that they were explosives. Now, because they, se they seemed to have lied about the initial civilian death count, I'm a little bit skeptical that this was just a split second, uh, like that this was just a split second mistake that they made because they were trying to minimize civilian casualties in case he went into a more heavily cr crowded area. I don't know. Maybe that's conspiratorial, but what are your thoughts, Paul? Um, well, first off, how dare some poor man in Afghanistan uh, try to run his own Uber? <clears throat> that's completely ridiculous. We don't allow that sort of thing there. <laughs> um, and I think the most important thing for me to note on this is the only two civilian casualties that they said in the beginning is still too, too fucking many. Yeah. We have destroyed that fucking country. We have murdered their citizens and their children for 20 fucking years. And before we give Biden too much credit tonight, because we're going to, because he actually has done some things that I'm happy about. 
Not that I'm convinced it's all his doing, but we'll see. But before we do that, I just want to say I find it fucking ridiculous that on the way out, he was like, man, got to murder a couple more kids. And I don't care if he wasn't involved in the actual decision. He's the commander in chief. Yeah. He's the reason everything is happening there. Not everything, obviously, but <clears throat> yeah. Fuck stops with him. Yeah. <laughs> fuck him. Yeah. And fuck that he felt the need to kill more kids. Yeah. No, that that's a fair point. That's definitely a fair point. Um, I mean, you know, we, we claim to be fighting terrorism, but like literally the definition of terrorism is targeted violence against civilians, you know? And I mean, considering just how many civilians died in the Afghanistan war, I mean, you could, you know, uh, it, there, there comes a certain point where you, you know, where the line of, Oh, it was just an accident starts to wear, starts to wear thin. Like at some point, either you are, just monumentally incompetent or you just don't give a shit like and i i don't know which one it is but you know this this is why we needed to get out of there because this this is the type of shit that we have been doing for the last 20 years as as paul mentioned so like this this withdrawal could not have happened soon enough and it is, it is a shame that we had to commit just one more war crime before pulling out. Um, but, you know, overall, uh, I am so glad that Biden did this, that, that, that obviously not the drone strike, but the, the pulling out. And, and, and people really need to come to his defense more in terms of the, the, the decision to pull out because we want him to do more of that. We want him to, if he is at the point where he has decided that uh, I'm towards the end of my life, I'm reflecting on my life and I need to make up for some of the mistakes I made as, as Paul said that he might be doing. If we want him to do that, then, you know, we, we should acknowledge like when he does, we should acknowledge when he does something that we've actively been advocating for. So and, and my hope in these recent weeks, as he's doing things that have been making him um, exceedingly more unpopular in the United States, is that he's finally saying, popularity be damned, I'm <laughs> going to do these. Uh, one quick side note that I want to make, I was quickly trying to look up um, uh, to see if I could find an approximate number of how many um, Afghani civilians have been killed thus far in the war in Afghanistan. Um, because I think one of the things that's not talked about enough is we always talk about the cost to us, how much it cost us the taxpayers, how much it cost us in lives, how much it cost us this and that. And nobody seems to consider the cost of the country that we bombed to hell and shot up their citizens, drone striked their children. So in looking for this, I typed something very specific to try to only find out about Afghan citizens. And the only things that are coming up on my top few things are how many civilians were killed by Afghanis. Yeah. How many of our United States citizens, because that's all the world seems to care about. Yeah. So uh, estimates in terms of uh, Afghani civilians uh, based on sources that uh, we've actually, we've talked about on the pod before is approximately 70,000 Afghan and Pakistani civilians. So compare that to what I'm seeing of approximately 2,300 civilians that were killed by um, insurgents in Afghanistan. Yeah. 
Exactly. And now it's time for one of our more positive segments, Good Actually. So, Paul, do you know why we do Good Actually every week? Or, well, some weeks? Um, I'm not specifically sure why you do, although I appreciate that you let me make sure that the Good Actually was something that is one little good shining thing highlighting bad things that are also occurring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's actually a huge part of why we do good, actually, because the world does suck. But sometimes if you look hard enough, you find that, you know, good actually is everywhere. Uh, You know, and sometimes it's it's mixed in with a lot of bad stuff. So, Paul, what is our good actually this week? Um, So our good actually this week is focusing on Texas (laughs) and um, their recent abortion laws, which are making things uh, exceedingly difficult for people that need abortions, no matter what their circumstances. Um, And one of the things that they're doing is they are penalizing and fining um, and I think actually arresting people who have assisted people with getting an abortions and assisting has been specifically stated to include people such as taxi drivers or rideshare drivers who have delivered people somewhere to get their abortion. Hmm. Which absurd. So yeah. uh, I do want to preface this by saying that Lyft is a terrible company. They treat their employees who they don't call employees, they call contractors absolutely terribly. And they're pretty much everything I hate about capitalism. <laughs> And additionally, they've 100% done this because they think that they're going to make more money off it. Someone in a back room has crunched the numbers and said, we are going to make more money on this platform if we make this specific stance. It's caveat time. (laughs) So fuck them for the reasons. But Lyft has stated that um, they will cover the legal fees and do whatever they need to do to protect their rideshare drivers from getting penalized and punished and imprisoned um, over delivering people to their abortions. And, you know, fuck Lyft and all, but that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... There's definitely a lot of other critiques of the company, but I think that, uh, you know, I, the results of this will be positive and uh, results are, you know, sometimes that's, that's the best thing we should focus on. Yep. And if other companies want to take up suit with this sort of thing, please do, no yeah. matter what your reasons. Uh, if any little bit of good that people can start doing will be at least somewhat helpful. And that's good, actually. All right. And now that we have officially gotten out of Afghanistan, what's next? Well, hopefully Iraq and Syria. Now, one of the things that I would like to point out, and we we did do a segment on this a while ago, uh, is the fact that uh, Joe Biden did kind of do a... uh, a Weasley attempt at seeming to do a withdrawal from Iraq. Uh, specifically, um, he said that there would be no more combat troops in Iraq. However, uh, according to foreignpolicy.com, the announcement is unlikely in practice to remove many of the 2,500 U.S. troops currently stationed there. So basically what that means is that the troops that are currently there, on paper, their role is going to change. 
But the fact of the matter is, in practice, what they're actually doing is not going to change much. Um, there are still going to be a lot of Iran-backed militias that are going to continue to um, to to attack U.S. U.S. troops and also um, you know the the Iraqi government. And also, I would like to point something out. The Iraqi parliament doesn't even want us there. So when Donald Trump launched an airstrike in Baghdad, which killed uh, General uh, Soleimani, which we, we have talked about before, the Iraq's parliament voted to expel the U.S. troops that were in Iraq. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't even want us there. Like, you know, in Afghanistan, they were at least pretending that, you know, oh, they still want us there, that the government still wants us there. Um, now that's because like the government was basically was was a propped up like zombie government. Um, they, they also only ever interviewed people that lived in urban areas and had wealth and were profiting from the fact that we were there. They yeah. didn't go out and ask the actual people of Afghanistan, the peasants that were bombed out of their farms, if they wanted us there. And that's the majority of their population. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, I'm. The Iraq parliament doesn't even want us there. The Iraqi government doesn't even want us there. And our civilian civilian death count in Iraq, I mean, and and let's let's remember, let's remember, Iraq, the Iraq war was one of the greatest war crimes that the United States has ever committed. All right. Let's not forget that how, how, how many levels of which the United States government, the Bush administration lied to us in order to get us into the Iraq war. All right. There is the weapons of mass destruction bullshit, which by the way, and we've talked about this before, the UN released a report from investigators, like I think it was like two or three months before the initial invasion that specifically had found that there was no evidence of any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And then Bush invaded anyway. And let's also not forget that one of the things that one of the things that the Bush administration tried to pretend was that the was that Iraq was somehow involved in 9-11, that they had ties to Al Qaeda. Now, part of how they got that information was by torturing out torturing it out of people in Guantanamo Bay. Now According to documents that we we have we have talked about uh, on this pod before, um, there was the, the the torture report that had come out. I think that was like in 2012, 2013. Uh, a lot of the 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 a lot of the reasons behind the torture, like we we anybody that knows about torture and that knows anything about torture knows that it is a terrible way of getting accurate information. And so you could very easily be like, well, this torture was bad because like, you know, it gave us bad information, but it turns out that was on purpose. They didn't want good information. They wanted to torture in, they wanted to, to torture the information that they wanted to hear. So, um, so Bush administration officials would instruct interrogators to specifically try to extract information linking Al Qaeda to Iraq by using torture. And they got people to admit it because when you're being tortured, you'll admit to anything to make the pain stop. So 
the like the process of getting to into the Iraq war was a horrific war crime. It was I mean, it's I think that the Iraq war is probably the worst thing that the United States has done in my lifetime. And on top of that, um, in terms of the civilian body count, there were there was a documentation of like at the at the lower end of the spectrum. One hundred and eighty five thousand eight hundred and sixty nine deaths. All right. So. To put that into perspective, in terms of total violent deaths, which includes combatants, that number is at 288,000, which means that civilian deaths account for over 60% of all deaths, of all violent deaths in the Iraq war. All right. We killed more civilians than combatants in the Iraq war. On that. And with this, I hold Biden almost entirely responsible for the Iraq war and how it turned out. Uh, Biden was one of the leading figureheads in convincing the Democrats to vote to go to war, and he did a good job. He had people in my family going, oh, yeah, you know, I really don't want to go to another war, but we really can't allow this to happen. Um, And it's something that he even is ashamed of because he said several times uh, that he has been vehemently against the Iraq war from the beginning, which is hysterical and not the case. No, he fucking wasn't. (laughs) No. And I want to read uh, one of my favorite quotes um, from him. I will vote for this, meaning the Iraq war, uh, because we should be compelling Iraq to make good on its obligations to the United Nations, um, referring to the ridiculousness of us continuing to say that we needed to probe more despite the fact that the UN had already concluded that they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. And he said, because while Iraq's illegal weapons of mass destruction, which they didn't have, by the way, um, do not do not pose an imminent threat to our national security, they will if left unfettered. So even these weapons that didn't exist, that they were pretending existed, they were specifically saying they had no threat to our national security. Wow. Now, what's not mentioned here is that if they had weapons of mass destruction, they would be a threat to Israel, and Israel's how we control the Middle East. But it's neither here nor there. Wow. Wow. What a guy. (laughs) That amazes me. So yeah, I, you know, one of the points that that we have made previously on the pod is the fact that yeah, Biden is, you know, he he is heavily responsible for the fact that we went to a what we went to war with Iraq for the invasion of Iraq, and he like it's his responsibility to finally end it now. What I'm hoping is, you know, to one of the points that Paul said earlier, that the reason why he got out of Afghanistan and why he was just kind of weathering all the attacks is because he's at the point where he doesn't give a shit about popularity. I mean, let's be real. You know, he's he's old. All right. He he's probably going to be a one term president. You know, he's probably not going to run again. You know, um, he even he even said like when he ran, he even said that he was trying to be a transition president. And, you know, he he said that, like. He didn't know if he was going to be running for uh, for a second term. I, I think that it's I am almost certain that he is not planning on running for another term. So if that's the case, 
do the right thing. You know, if you don't care about popularity, do the right thing. Pull us out of Iraq, you know, and of course, pull us out of Syria. You know, we have been engaged in a conflict with Syria. Like a lot of people, they think about how we're at war with Iraq and Afghanistan. There's 900 United States troops in Syria right now that are a part of a coalition to, to fight against um, to, to fight against the Islamic State. Now, one of the biggest things that I try to focus on when it comes to these wars that we're in, these, these forever wars that we constantly involve ourselves in, is the civilian casualty rate. So in just airstrikes, in terms of just airstrikes, all right, the United States has acknowledged that we have killed uh, 1,400 civilians between the year 2015 and 2020. Those are the ones that they acknowledge. Yeah, right? That doesn't include the random bodies of children that they pushed into the smoking garbage pits. Yeah. Uh, independent investigators uh, with the Human Rights Watch has actually concluded that, that the real number is probably closer to 7,000. 7,000. And that is just airstrikes. That's not even ground. That's not even ground forces. That is airstrikes. So the human cost is just, is just astronomical. And like, I'm so tired of the United States government claiming, oh, we're, we're in Iraq to help the people. We're in Afghanistan to help the people. We're in Syria to help the people. Every single time in the last decade, in the last two decades, that we've gotten ourselves involved in the Middle East, it's been for our own reasons. It hasn't been to actually help people. All right. Even if it, even if we were trying to like build a government or, you know, and, and spread democracy throughout the world, we can't be the world's police. But even if that was our, even if that was our goal, which it clearly isn't, like, how many people are you will? How many civilians? How many children are you willing to kill to make people accept democracy? The more that we kill, the more sign up with them. Yes, exactly. It, so um, I have a question for you. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but has ISIS ever successfully pulled off an attack in the United States short of 9-11, which they're loosely related to because of Al-Qaeda? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. Okay. Now, I can guarantee you that they have tried, probably with the same sort of thing, small cells working here in the United States, probably with very little contact uh, with actual ISIS over there. But these are all things that have been handled incredibly well um, by the security forces that we have here. In what world do we need to keep being over there attacking people over something that we've been handling just fine? Because as we do this, we're just making more people mad and more people um, are showing up for recruitment to try and get back to the United States for blowing up their kids, for blowing up their parents. Yeah, exactly. And it just makes sense. One of the things um, that I always found kind of fascinating is when we first invaded Iraq and they were rolling through um, 
all these poorly put together militias, one of the things that they found on a lot of the people that they killed was these people were not Iraqi citizens. A lot of them were actually highly educated people, mostly from the Middle East, that were in universities in um, London and other parts of Europe. And when they heard that the United States was attacking Iraq over nothing, literally an invading force, uh, committing war crimes, <laughs> literal acts of aggression, they said, fuck college, I want to make a difference. We can't let the United States do this. So they came to Iraq, they formed militias, and then they died because you can't really expect to successfully take on the U.S. military. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, one of the points that Noam Chomsky made uh, in terms of the drone strike program under Obama was basically that he was creating more terrorists with drone strikes than he was able to kill. You know, like he, he wasn't able to drone strike them fast enough to make up for all the new terrorists that got created when he bombed their families and bombed civilians. Like, you know, killing civilians in a foreign country as a foreign invading force is just going to create more terrorists and more extremists. If you lose your entire family to a United States airstrike or you know, the United States military shooting up, uh, shooting up a hospital, you know, whether it's an accident or not, that is the type of thing that turns people into extremists. Now, I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not saying that like it it justifies, you know, it justifies their own attacks on civilians. Of course it doesn't. But but, but if you take everything from someone, what else are they going to do? Exactly. Exactly. So for the love of God, Biden, you did the right thing with Afghanistan. Good job. Kudos. You know, I'll be giving you credit for that till the end of time. Now, if you get out of Afghan if you get out of Iraq and Syria, I will uh, you know, I next time I vote for you, I'll smile instead of gag. I won't. I'll still never vote for you. But <laughs> um, uh, a point I do want to make real quick with this um, is one thing that's going to be brought up in the future if pulling out of other countries in the Middle East is brought onto the table is they're going to talk about the disaster that was the pulling out of Afghanistan. It's good that we pulled out. I don't think it was handled well. And I think even if it was handled well, um, it was going to lead to a lot of deaths, a lot of civilian casualties, a lot of um, altogether turmoil. Because it's just, when you rip uh, what was left of the pathetic infrastructure out of a country, what can you expect to happen? Yeah. But what I would implore is that um, if, we see a lot of casualties, a lot of damage, all this happen as we pull out. What we need to focus on is not that specifically, but the fact that we are eliminating the gross amount of casualties and damage and everything else that we would be seeing over the years of us being there. So it's kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. It sucks at first, but you gotta do it. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Ass Hat of the Week. Of the week. <laughs> so, Paul. I hope, I hope yeah. that sinks terribly. <laughs> it probably did. So, Paul, who is our Ass Hat this week? 
So this was a toughie because we had already made decisions about this earlier. And mm -hmm. then with news today, it just provided a bunch more. I actually have a whole list. <laughs> uh, it's fairly long of great, great um, candidates for this. But I specifically chose Henry McMaster, uh, governor of South Carolina. Ooh, what did, uh, what did Mr. McMaster do? Well, so as we'll talk about in a second, um, Biden has uh, mandated uh, vaccinations for all federal employees. And so Biden has also mandated that um, businesses that have over 100 employees must either have all employees vaccinated or have all employees um, get weekly testing. So... Uh, naturally, there was a bunch of fun responses from Republican governors, <laughs> and the South Carolinian one uh, is my favorite. And his quote that I will read from here says that the American dream has turned into a nightmare under President Biden and the radical Democrats. It was already a nightmare. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily gotten better or worse, but whatever. <laughs> um, he states that they have declared war against capitalism. I wish but eh. uh, thumbed their noses at the Constitution and empowered our enemies abroad. Rest assured, we will fight them to the gates of hell to protect the liberty and livelihood of every South Carolinian. This is his response to people being told that they must get a free life-saving vaccine. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, like, over 600,000 people in the United States have died in just the last two years because of COVID. Like, or I guess, no, it'd be a year and a half, right? You and a half, year yeah. and a half, two years. Anyway, like that's, that's more than the population of Wyoming. Like it's like the entire population of Wyoming and then some just died. Like they're just gone. All right. Like family members of ours have died because of this, because of, uh, because of COVID. And it's bullshit propaganda from the side that supports you, Mr. Governor, that is making people not want to take vaccines. Look, in an ideal world, the government wouldn't have to get involved. You know, I, I, when, when we had a conversation about mandatory vaccines uh, early on in the pandemic, like I even said, it would be great if this, this didn't end up being a requirement. But Clearly, you all did not do enough to, to encourage your supporters to get vaccinated, and your supporters are the people that are dying because of it. So clearly, Joe Biden, with all of his flaws, he at least cares about the people that voted for you more so than you do. Yep. So fuck <laughs> off. Yep. Now, I will say I'm sad because I really thought DeSantis was going to say something fun. Um, yeah. And as of this recording, he has not addressed this yet. As Can't of wait. the time that we are recording it. I'm sure he's going to have a doozy. But right now, uh, we're going to give it to the South Carolina governor. So a deep and hearty congratulations to Henry McMaster for being our asshat, asshat of the of week. The week. Hey everybody, it is Nathan from the future. Uh, during this segment, Paul and I discussed a little bit about Biden's vaccine mandate. 
There are some aspects of the specific rollout that were a little bit more speculative at the time that we laid out this particular segment. So for the sake of accuracy, I would just like to point out that when we discuss how the vaccine mandate will be enforced at the time, this is speculation and it is not completely clear that this is exactly how it will be enforced. So just keep that in mind while you're listening to this segment. Okay, and for our final segment of the day, we are going to spend some time talking about some COVID news. Specifically, uh, we want to talk a little bit about mandatory vaccines from the Biden administration. So, uh, so Paul, we talked about this a little bit during um, during our asshat segment. So, what did what did Biden do? So, Biden today uh, was expected to announce. This wasn't a surprise that he was mandating vaccinations. Um, for all federal employees. What's interesting about this is there was speculation that it was going to be um, a mandate for either a vaccine or weekly testing, as has been the go-to in uh, most regards. But no, for the federal government, he's specifically stated that if you um, cannot provide proof of your vaccination status and that you are vaccinated, that you can no longer work for the federal government. So that's a good step. The thing that really surprised me today, um, but I am overwhelmingly happy about, is that he also stated that corporations that have more than 100 employees, now I need to look up some stuff because I'm afraid that um, places are going to be able to use the same little loopholes that they use to be able to get the um, payment protection plan loans where they're like, oh, uh, this location of our giant corporation only has 70 employees. But I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, but anyways, businesses that have more than 100 employees are going to have to have all of their employees vaccinated and provide proof of vaccination. Or, and I want to stress this or, because um, I think this is significant, or they have to have weekly testing that is paid for by the employer. Oh, so this wow. means that they can't have some people vaccinated and some people getting weekly testing. They have to pick one or the other. Oh. And this is corporate America. They're not going to choose the one where they have to pay for tests for people every wow. week over a free vaccine. They're that is not. That is smart. It is. It's great. That is smart. And I would like to directly compare this to what our governor of Virginia has done, which is allowing both and specifically is trying to make the um, weekly tests be as um, easy as possible for people to get the most unobtrusive ones. And um, I believe, although I could be wrong, so if I'm wrong, sorry, I believe um, he's also having the state continue to pay for those tests which is ridiculous. So I'm glad that the federal government has changed this, put something down. Uh, now all these idiots in Virginia that are pretending to do the right thing can actually get stuck having to do the right thing. Yeah. Man, that's really interesting. So I, you know, I have definitely heard a lot of uh, mixed arguments, um, even, even among leftists about uh, mandatory vaccines. It does seem that the general consensus is though, that at least like there should be mandates that are kind of like soft mandates where it makes it so that um, it's so inconvenient 
to not get a vaccine that like, if you really, if you really don't want to get it, like, you know, you don't have to get it, but it's so inconvenient that most people are just going to get it. Um, now I, 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 I don't know about what my feelings would be about, um, you know, if, if we did a hard mandate, uh, my hope is that we won't need to, because like, ideally a mandate like this will get us closer and closer to actual herd immunity. Um, but yeah, when I first saw this, I was like, I, I mean, I mean, for, for the longest time, a lot, this is the thing that a lot of right-wingers for a long time had been fear-mongering about. They were like, oh, next there's going to be vaccine mandates and that's terrible. And I would hear that and I'd be like, yeah, uh, I wish, but there's no way Biden would ever do that. You know, it's like, and I was always saying like, um, you know, it's, it's annoying that Biden won't just do the right thing because he's going to be criticized by Republicans who are going to claim that he's doing the right thing when he's actually not. So he might as well just do the right thing. Um, but man, I was, I was definitely surprised that he, he had the guts to, he had the guts to do it. There's going to be a lot of very crazy pissed off people. Like I've, I've been seeing videos at like at, uh, of of people at school board meetings um like when, when they open up for uh, uh as as a uh, open discussion for you know citizens within the county um i've been seeing just these insane people like complain about mask mandates how mask mandates are from the devil i mean it's going to be crazy to see how, how people like that react to this, but honestly, it's what we need to do at this point. Yep. So mask mandates, oh, please, please. Can we have them? Uh, this is something I'm sure he's going to edit out, but if any of you fucking pansy fucks complain to me again about having to wear a mask for fucking two minutes while we are in a grocery store, Jesus, and for some background, I used to work in an OR. Um, <clears throat> when you're in an OR, anytime you're in an actual room, uh, you have to be in a mask uh, plus, depending on what the actual case is. So I've had work days where I've worn a mask for over eight hours. Easy. And that actually sucks. It hurts your face. You get indents. You can sometimes actually like bleed from the indents there. It's not fun. And those were actual real deal medical masks that are nowhere near as comfortable as these fucking soft, uh, fluffy cloth ones that you guys are wearing now. Chill and wear your fucking mask. Christ. <clears throat> no, I'm no, I'm I'm leaving that one in there. I'm leaving okay. that one in there because, like, I mean, I mean, I, on the very first day of class, because uh, because fortunately my university is actually doing a mask mandate, which I, you know, I I, I do give them credit for. Um. On the very first day, I, I straight up told my students, there's a mask mandate in my class and I will be strictly enforcing it. I don't, and, and, and I said this, I said, I don't care what conspiracy theories you've read on the internet. In my class, we're going to live in reality. So, you know, I, I think that um, when it comes to masks, like that is something that you just need to, you just need to enforce. Um, and it's, and to your point, like it, it sucks. It really does suck, but it's a lot better than dying of COVID first off and or worse killing your old relatives. Yeah, that too, that too. You know, I, 
I have to wear a mask for hours on end while I teach class. Like I teach public speaking while wearing a mask. That's not easy, <laughs> but you know, we, we do what we have to do. And I've already had students that have tested positive for COVID. Yeah. And it's been with what, the a mask week? mandate. Yeah. It's, right? been, it's, it's been like two weeks at this point and I've already had some students test positive for COVID. Like, <laughs> I mean, hey. A close friend of mine is a school teacher in middle school. They have had three days of class so far and already have several cases. Um, going back to the vaccine mandate, though, itself, this is another thing that the thing that throws me the most about it is Trump was one of the initial people to push um, funding and try to um, accelerate the process of getting these vaccines. So how in the fuck has this become some sort of talking point in which he himself can go to his own fucking rally, tell his people, hey, man, you guys probably ought to get vaccinated, and then get fucking booed? Yeah. What is wrong with these morons? Yeah. Literally, what the fuck? So the last four years, it's like Trump's followers would do anything that he told them to do. Like they would inject bleach to treat COVID like they would, um, you know, they would just pretend that it didn't exist for a while. You know, he would say like he would say, oh, well, the the, the, the there was a hurricane that was going to go to Alabama and he altered the map with a Sharpie and his followers were like, well, it was going to Alabama. All right. There's a there's a hurricane in Alabama. It's like anything he said was the truth. But he finally says something that's actually useful. And you boo him. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? It's like this well, is one of those this is one of those few times in which you actually should just, you know, just do what he says. You know, this is one of the few times in which, like, I would encourage Trump's followers to turn off their brain and listen to him. Now, I do want to say I have um, this nagging sneaking suspicion um and for those who don't know me i'm an extreme pessimist i see the absolute worst in people in the world and it's just something i live with i feel like all this bullshit about oh take a vaccine don't take a vaccine you guys are sheep they're sheep is all to distract us from um, what I think is a much more important thing going on, which is that the United States is allowing companies to have patents on the vaccine mm. that make it so that it cannot be produced in mass numbers in places that need it, not mm. just on the vaccine itself, but on the actual steps in creating the vaccine. Yeah. If these were removed, then small countries all around the world could be producing vaccines in the numbers that we are. Yeah. But because they're not, because these companies, which, you know, thank you, Pfizer, thank you, Moderna, thank you, Johnson & Johnson, for making these, we stop being greedy little fucks and let other people make it because this shit isn't about you and yeah. your fucking pocketbooks. No, that, that is a great point. And we have, we have criticized the Biden administration for not doing enough to, to fight against that. And in, in some cases, and, and, and first, basically supporting the, uh, the whole patent thing and 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 we we've we've chastised politicians in the past for basically trying to make the argument of oh but they're just going to miss out on so much money if they if they you know release those patents i don't give a fuck 
I literally don't fucking care. You know what? Take part of the military budget and pay them with it. Say thank you for doing that. Please release this. Yeah. What the fuck? No, that that is a very important point. And it's part of the reason why they're, you know, even in the United States where we have this, you know, this huge group of people that are refusing to get vaccinated, we still have like 54% of our population fully vaccinated versus the world, which only has 29.6%. And it's they because want of it. that discrepancy. They want it. In they Mrs. want In it. Mississippi, they have been throwing away vaccines because they've expired, because they've been kept too long there. While the rest of the world is saying, please, can we have these fucking vaccines that you fucking morons over there are having to throw away because your people don't want it. Yeah. Now, I, I would like to preface one thing, because um, I, I, there, there's, there's a lot of ranting in this segment that I, I, am, going to, I am going to keep it. I'm not going to edit out. But I do want to preface one thing. <laughs> I, I want to acknowledge the fact that when it comes to trying to persuade people to get a vaccine, you know, it, it's not an effective form of argumentation to, you know, call them a fucking idiot and just say, you know, suck it up and get the damn vaccine. Um, but you know, there's, there's, so there's two points I want to make on that. The first point is, um, if you are somebody who has relatives who are not vaccinated, you know, as we've said on the pod before, the most effective way of getting them to get vaccinated is to use emotional and, um, and, uh, compassionate arguments, you know, to be like, listen, I care about you and I'm worried about your well-being. Please get the vaccine because I want you to be safe. Like stuff like that is the most effective way of getting people to get the vaccine. But number two, um, what I'm hoping is that this vaccine mandate will kind of like, will hopefully get us closer to that um, herd immunity point to where, you know, even a person who would be deterred by, um, you know, by people like us shouting into a microphone saying, please get vaccinated, will end up having to get a vaccine anyway, because, you know, they work for a company that uh, has over a hundred employees, or maybe they work for the government. Uh, so can we shun them? So one of the most <laughs> effective way of um, training animals uh, is if they do something you don't like, my bird, for instance, uh, he got annoyed the other day and decided to bite me and it hurt a lot and I was very mad. And what you absolutely don't want to do in this situation is yell at him or anything like that, even though that's what you want to do. What you want to do is you put him away and let them be isolated because they don't like being alone. Yeah. Well, I would actually say- And then say you come that... back. So can we just ignore our people and be like, hey, I miss you guys. I hope you're well. I would love to see you when you get vaccinated. Please yeah. do that. Yeah, that's that's actually another very good point. You know, make it like say you can't see grandma until you get vaccinated or you, you can't visit me until you get vaccinated. No, that that's that's a great point. You know, if you, if you basically- make it a requirement for, for spending time with you. Like if you basically create a barrier that they can only overcome if they get vaccinated. Um, yeah, that, that's another very effective way of doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And in my situation, granted, I was going to get the vaccine anyway, but I spent a year in isolation from my family uh, because of COVID. And when we got vaccinated and I first got to see my parents again after a fucking year, it was amazing. I was so happy. Hmm. Use that, please. Yeah, please use that. Um, I also want to touch back on the vaccine mandate itself. Yeah. Um, because I think one of the most important distinctions that no one seems to be fucking making um, is that this is not a mandate. Yeah. And that it's not saying that you absolutely have to do this. It's just saying that if you want to continue to be employed, you must. And these are the same sort of decisions that we make all the time in life. Before you can go to um, public school and most mm. private schools, you have to have vaccinations. Yeah. Before you can go to college, you have to have vaccinations. Before you can get most jobs that matter, you have to show them your vaccinations. Yeah. No, I, it, when, I, when I went to graduate school, uh, I had forgotten to send my immunization information to them. Uh, before the deadline. And I ended up getting fined. And this was way before COVID. You know, and I just was like, oh, well, this is just, I mean, this is just how they do it. This is just a fact of life. You know, it was annoying. Nothing new. It's not new. It's not new. We're acting like this is some new tyranny and it's not. Yeah. Um, If you ever decide that you absolutely hate yourself and want to have a miserable time, um, head over to the subreddit, our conservative, um, especially right now, it's full of people spending all their time talking about how they're moving to Florida or Texas because those governors are going to fight back against this government tyranny. And oof. now there has been some calling for like civil war and shit over this, but it hasn't actually been as bad as I expected. And I think this is because maybe at some level, there's some reason left in some of these people. Yeah, but I guess we'll see. Okay, and with that, we will go ahead and end our podcast as we usually do on a high note with our highlights. So, Paul, uh, what was your highlight this week? So when you just posed this to me, because I only just realized that I was going to have to do this, I was pretty upset about it because this, again, as I said earlier, I don't spend a lot of time thinking positively. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love you too, dude. However, um, I'm actually going to state that I think uh, my high note of this week was actually joining you for this discussion. Oh, really? Um, So leading into this, uh, I was pretty unhappy, I guess is the word. I don't um, like performing or talking in front of people. I have a lot of anxiety related to that. But um, I have been... Uh, fighting a desire recently to start creating some sort of media where I can at least share some of my thoughts uh, because I have some fairly pointed thoughts about a lot of things because I spent a lot of time reading about such things. Um, And so although this was a stressful thing for me to do, uh, I'm glad that I did it and I had a good time with it. So thanks for bringing me on. Nice. And, and this, this has been a really awesome episode, dude. I've, I've really enjoyed having you on there. So, so, you know, thank you so much. And I, and I am glad that, uh, that it seems you did enjoy yourself. Um, so, you know, thank you again. Uh, my highlight is the fact that, um, so I, I had mentioned at the end of the last pod 
that uh, my wife, Jess, was going to be going in for surgery. Um, the surgery happened and she, uh, she is recovering and she is home. Um, there were some aspects of the surgery that were sad, but uh, the most important thing is that she's okay and she's home and that has, that has been really nice. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum and you will hear from us again next week. <laughs>